game one against the Braves. You are locked on Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome you back into the Locked On Red Sox podcast, and thank you so much for making Locked On Red Sox your first listen of every single day. I'm your host, Jake Nizuski, and here, as always, with my co-host, Nessun Lauren Willand. And after a great stretch of Red Sox baseball where the offense was doing amazing, started pitching, was shoving, the Red Sox lose two games in a row and, and fall to the Atlanta Braves, who are, in my opinion, outside of the Rays, the best team in the majors at the moment. And so when you really look at what we saw uh, in last night's game, it's it's not too, too surprising, especially with Nick Pavetta on the mound, who has struggled throughout this season. But it's definitely tough to swallow when you look at the score 9-3. to three. Yeah, I mean, you said it was bound to happen. The, the offense was bound to cool down. Yoshida's hit streak was bound to come to an end. And things were bound to start looking like a looking a little messy so I mean I don't think there's any reason to truly panic by any means I think that it's it's two games that the Red Sox have lost they just they're coming off an eight game win streak not that long ago so I mean yeah you you look at the the final score yuck but on to the next one and, you know, it, it didn't start out pretty either. You know, the Braves ended up scoring uh, four runs in the first inning. And Pavetta's first four batters, single, home run, walk, and hit batsman. And the one thing that really came up in my mind when I just saw this all unraveling, especially early on, and it was sort of a question that was asked at the end of the game as well, is, you know, could this point to Nick Pavetta, you know, essentially uh, losing or or not performing up to the standards of an audition uh, to to stay in the rotation after Paxton gets activated and you know comes back uh, with the Red Sox and you know Pavetta actually answered this after the game and he's like you know I, I'm gonna start for this team like I have since I came here and you know he, he even said to the reporters like I don't understand your question and it was really interesting to just sort of hear his whole thoughts on it. And you could see that there's there's still a little bit of pushback from him to want to have an open mind to move to the bullpen. But no guy really wants anybody uh, talking about their job like that. And I, I, we'll, we'll speak more about the stats in, in a tiny bit. But, like, I thought it was interesting how, you know, there was some people who were saying that was insensitive for them to ask him this. And, you know, he's a human being. And if you've listened to this podcast long enough, I, the human aspect of the game is something that I love to talk about. I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's something that needs to be promoted a lot more. But at the same time, when you're not performing to the standards uh, of, of, of what a starting pitcher or a successful starting pitcher uh, performs to, especially for a team who just came off of an eight-game winning streak, you're going to get those questions asked to you, and, and you got to be ready to answer them when it comes. I have no issue with the question that was asked and I have no issue with how Pavetta answered because that's, he's, he's a starter and that's his job. And he's not thinking about uh, losing that job, even though he'd still have a job with the Red Sox if he does get moved to the bullpen. But yeah, I think he answered it in, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for my next start and just mm-hmm. trying not to really give into the, the thought that he could be moved to the bullpen. Um, yeah, I have like, you know, people have to ask these questions 
people have to answer these questions. So I, like I said, no issue with that whatsoever. Um, and it's, you know, it's also comes down to being accountable. It wasn't a good start. It was, it wasn't a good start right off the bat. I mean, you said it right when you were reading the first four batters and, you know, Pavetta is not expected to be an ace or an, even a two starter. You know, he's a four or five starter. You want more than what you've seen from him this season. Mm -hmm. And especially from what you saw on Tuesday. And it's also a very fair question because Paxton's coming back. You have Whitlock coming back. And once the starters, the projected starters are healthy, that's seven of them. And we're going to see a six man rotation at least one time through next week or starting, you know, today, I guess. But someone's got to be the odd man out when the seven, seven are healthy. And right now I do think that's Pavetta, but I also have zero issue with him getting another start next week. And, you know, I, I think the biggest explanation for anybody who is, was ever defending Pavetta staying in the rotation. And even before the season even started, this was a conversation and, you know, the innings eater was in the reliable part of his game of him being able to go deep in games it was something that was always pointed out and i feel like that argument's pretty much irrelevant up to this point he's only gotten past five innings once one singular time i i thought he was supposed to be this innings eater but kluber bayo even whitlock when when has pitched longer than than pavetta has and when when he only gives you four innings and you know you, you got to deplete the bullpen early on in in a first game of a series that's not helping you out whatsoever and so not only is he is he not performing e even to what we've seen in the last few years you know he usually allows three to five runs every single start now we're seeing you know a tick up to six or seven runs at a point and and you know him not being able to go deep in games is starting to hurt the bullpen but that was essentially his strength and I thought it was interesting because in his last, Ian Brown put this out, in his last 24 starts dating back to July of 2022, Pavetta has a 609 ERA and in seven starts so far this season, a 623 ERA. And for those people who love the Saber metrics and the little, little nitty gritty, uh, you know, statistics outside of just ERA, he's first, first percentile for barrel percentage. And the one thing that I looked at looking at fan graphs is when you look at from last year to this year, uh, in terms of ground ball percentage, 38.5 last year. This year, 34%. And then when you look at home run uh, slash fly ball ratio, uh, last season was 12.4%. And then this season is 18.2%. And so if you can read between the lines, isn't allowing ground balls and is allowing way more fly balls and home runs that turn into not only hits, but also runs as well. That's because MLB's juicing the balls again. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, you see the the regression, and something can be said about you know getting the ball every five days, being reliable, being there every single start. But when you look at what he's given the Red Sox this season, just this season alone, it's it's almost not enough to keep him in the rotation. Now, I'm I'm fine with keeping him in the rotation. I said that just a few minutes ago, and but I don't. He's on thin ice. And I think that Tuesday, in his next start, I think that's going to show a lot of hopefully promise or potential of what comes next. But for you know, for people saying like, oh, it's you know, Paxton's coming back. You don't know what he's going to give you. you guys were ripping on him, like not you, Jake, but like you know, yeah. Twitter just like ripping all over him for his outing, for his control. And we talked about how he looked in his rehab starts. But for, you know, if history repeats itself, and oftentimes it does, Pavetta's about to get hot. 
Last year, he went on that eight and one stretch. He had a 185 ERA from, uh, I think, 10 starts in May to June. I'm hoping that's what we're about to see from Pavetta. I'm definitely not putting all my eggs in one basket over that. But this could be a turning point for him, and this could be a turning point you know, for his role with the Red Sox. Because if, he, if we see another start next week like we did on Tuesday, I think he's the odd man out to go to the pen. I think he makes the most sense out of those starters. And again, you know, Paxson, there's so many question marks around him. And we don't know what we're going to get from him. But you're not going to judge everything from one start. We've had enough, you know, a month, month plus of Nick Pavetta starts. And they haven't lived up to what I was hoping, what Red Sox fans were hoping to see from him, especially in this season. And, you know, yes, he was, you know, very reliable and sturdy for the Red Sox last year. And he's still reliable for the Red Sox in terms of he's always going to be there for his start. But at what point does he become a liability in this rotation? But then again, you look, do you want him to give up four runs in the first inning or do you want to give up, have him give up four runs in the seventh inning when he comes in for relief? So it's a double-edged sword, but I do think that he's on thin ice 100%. I think that his time in the starting rotation could be coming to an end, and I think his next start has a lot riding on it, no matter how Paxton performs, no matter how Bayo performs, Whitlock, how Kluber, Sale, everyone. I think I don't think anyone's job is safe, but I think Pavetta's is probably the – the most in the red zone. I agree. And, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see if, if that is the specific move that they make to move him to the bullpen. Do we see the 2021 playoffs bullpen version or, or what version do we really see? Uh, Cause you know, you, you, you can even look at, you know, his first inning, which we've talked about multiple times so far is, is, you know, that's he just pitched one inning. He allowed four earned runs. So is that what he's going to give you out of the pen? Or, you know, is he going to you know be a completely different pitcher like we've seen from a Josh Winkowski or, you know, other guys who move from a starter to, to a reliever? And, you know, for, for, you know, people who are thinking in their mind, you know, you brought it up. Pavetta's already making another start. Cora uh, announced that uh, after the game that he's going to make another turn. And so, you know, looking into the future, um, you know, today when you're listening to this, it's going to be Bayo. And then the 12th is going to be Paxton. The 13th is going to be Sale. 14th, Kluber. 15th, Hauk. 16th is Pavetta. And then it's going to flip over again uh, to Bayo on the 17th. But I, I think that, you know, we, we've talked about this even going into spring training, you know, what is this rotation going to look like, you know, a few months in and, you know, we'll, we'll speak more about that and, you know, give more of our thoughts outside of just specifically Nick Pavetta uh, in our second segment. But before we do that, I just want to talk to you about so rare. So, so rare is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and a marketplace for transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. It's unlike any other fantasy baseball platform. So rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards, win or loss. You still have your cards and there's no cost to play. Plus, the more that you win, the more you advance, collecting increasingly powerful cards and assessing next-level competitions and rewards. Another really cool part about it as well is MLB All-Stars Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez are going to be serving as brand ambassadors and will be a part of MLB events throughout the season. So head over to SoRare.com slash on. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E.com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash on to start playing today. And so, 
this is one thing that has sort of frustrated me a little bit about the shuffling back and forth of the rotation and just not making a decision and just sticking to it. I understand, you know, it's the waiting around for Paxton to be ready. You know, obviously nobody expected the Bayo injury to happen, the Whitlock delay to start the season. And then now the injury once again, uh, I'm I'm just at a point where I just want to know what this rotation is going to look like for the rest of the season. I feel like it's sort of been bouncing around the answer for months and months now. And, you know, it's, it even makes it even worse when we've been talking about James Paxton since December 1st of 2021. He's going to make his debut with the team a year, five months and 11 days after he got signed. And I feel like even last year when we were talking about the rotation, just pitching, James Paxton's name still came up because we just forgot about him. And now that he's finally in the conversation, this is becoming a lot more of a debate of who's in and who's out. But I'm just excited to finally get the definitive decision of this is our rotation for the foreseeable future. Obviously, injuries and stuff will come up. But, like, I just want to know, who's the five? Stop with the six-man rotation crap. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a fan of the six-man rotation for no reason other than I just – I can't give you a solid reason as to why I don't like it. I just don't. But I think that with Paxton's return, with Whitlock's return, that we're getting closer to seeing what this definitive starting rotation will be. It's been a lot of, you know, mixing and jumbling and trying to, you know, make Whitlock a starter, make Hauk a starter, and just truly seeing what they can bring as starters. It's a lot of trial and error with these guys. And now that you know, it's getting the, it's getting healthier, the rotation – and everything is seem to seeming seemingly falling into place in terms of health. I think we're going to get a clearer picture now. When I say when, I'm saying like it's inevitable that Nick Pavetta will go to the bullpen. What kind of you know who's the odd man out there? Because I I don't think you get rid of Nick Pavetta altogether. I do think that there is still some reliability there. I think he's better than what he's shown this year. I'm not saying he's an ace by any means, but he's I think he's better than what he's shown. So I think now with this six-man rotation coming up in the next few days, in the next you know slate of games, we'll see that six-man rotation. I think we're st- going to start to see kind of who is going to go where, who's going to, what role will each player play. And we've talked about this for probably since you've joined the show, is having defined roles for these guys. And someone like you know James Paxton, he's been a starter. Who knows? He hasn't pitched since 2021. He pitched one game in 2021, and he who knows how he's going to react to playing in a big league game and how he's going to fare with just getting stretched out into that role again. You know, he's no spring chicken. He's he's quote unquote old for for an athlete. So it's um it's going to be very interesting going forward, especially the the next few games, seeing that rotation kind of get healthier and get fuller and see who truly is the odd man out because we've said it that we want the decision to be hard for Cora. We want this to be difficult, but right now in my eyes, anyway, it seems like it's an easy decision for Cora, but baseball is weird. Anything can happen. Uh, Pavetta could come out next week and strike out 10 batters. Bayo could come out and give you seven innings of shutout ball and Paxton could bounce back. He'd give you five strong innings. I would take that. So you just, you just never know what's going to happen. And I think this coming week, the next six, seven games are, are going to tell a lot about what this rotation will look like going forward. And, you know, one thing that I do want to, you know, say for people who are excited for Paxton to come back, but are also semi ready to be critical on him, you know, if he doesn't perform up to the standards in their mind uh, in his debut with the Red Sox. The one thing that I want to say is, 
you know, as you mentioned, it's, it, I even said it too, you know, it's, it's been a, almost a year and six months since, since he's signed with the Red Sox, you know, that, that makes it, you know, almost two years since he's like pitched on a major league mound. And was it pretty in his starts in Worcester? No, it wasn't. You know, he, he had one good start where he, he really made you excited about what he could bring uh, to the Red Sox rotation. And, you know, the one thing that I think is going to happen, not only with Paxton, but with almost every single pitcher in this rotation outside of, I, I think, Kluber, because I, I feel like it'd be very surprising if they move him to the bullpen. But I think there's going to be a lot of over-analyzation from, uh, you know, not only fans, but, you know, people that speak about the team on, you know, really using th these next six days as the audition and, and really trying to look closely on why or why not one guy should be able to be in the rotation one guy shouldn't. And, you know, at least for Paxton, I think a lot of people agree with this. It would be unfair to assess him after his first start in the majors in almost two years. And I feel like for him, I wouldn't expect it to be pretty. I would love for it to be pretty. I would love to see him go five innings, strike out, you know, eight, you know, only allow, you know, two to three hits. And, you know, maybe I'll allow one to one to two runs. But if, if it didn't look pretty in AAA, I don't expect it to look, you know, pretty in the majors against major league competition. And so, you know, I, I could see there being a little bit um, of some time to where he still needs to work back to going against major league competition and being dominant in that aspect, because especially with the control, you know, that's one thing that we spoke about after his last uh, rehab start. That, that was, that was a big thing that, you know, could really hinder him, especially against major league competition. And I know you love this phrase, but if you get tons of ducks on the pond, there's going to be tons of runs coming in. And, you know, he was getting hit up a lot uh, in triple A. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see if, I, th I think the big thing is we'll, we'll see if he's better than Pavetta. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not going to know that after one start. Like this yeah. is, you know, we'll need a few starts from him, and we he'll need a few starts for himself. You know, is is get that arm ready, kind of shake any rust off from the last year and a half that he's been sidelined with several different kinds of injuries. So I'm I'm just I'm excited for his return. I'm excited to see what he can bring to this team. I hope it's better than what he brought to Worcester, and he can be consistent. So I think that a lot is. I think there's a lot of pressure on him, whether that's from himself or that's from the fans and just, you know, the Red Sox as a whole. I don't think the mm -hmm. Red Sox are putting any pressure on him, so to say, but you're going to, he's going to come out there and want to give the best performance he can. I hope he doesn't get shelled. I hope he does well. Like you said, five innings. And I said five innings, like that's, that's, I'd be okay with that. If he gets you five innings in his first start since 2021. And the one thing that I don't think I mentioned uh, when we spoke about his last rehab start, but I think he had, he had like 35 to 40 pitches in like the second inning. Yeah. And I, I was just, I, I just saw that. I'm like, James, you can't be doing that when you're back up in Boston. You, you just can't. And so I, I, you know, he knows that. And that I, I'm just excited to fully see him, you know, finish a game in a Red Sox uniform. That's one thing that I've been waiting for uh, outside of just, you know, when he's pitched for Worcester. But, you know, another narrative that I, I think has been interesting to see, especially after, uh, you know, Pavetta's rough start yesterday and all the assumptions that he could probably be the odd man out, there's a lot of people also pointing to Brian Bayo. And, you know, obviously he makes his start uh, today when we're posting this. Uh, and it's a big it's a big game for him to make a statement, not not only, you know, today, but also when he makes his you know next start on the 17th after this one. But I, I, I really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The people who say, you know, maybe we can send him back down again, continue to help him develop. You know, how are you going to help him develop and get used to major league pitching when he's going against AAA 
AAA batters. That doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, wh- when people bring that up, the only thing that comes to my mind is, well, with, you know, Pavetta, you know what you have. Kluber, you kind of know what you have, but you paid him $10 million and you can't really put him in the bullpen. So, you know, there's I mean, a few guys – You could. But, you know, there's a few guys where you know what you already have. Bayo – you don't know what you have. You know the potential that could be. You know what he could become, but you got to give him chances to become that. And you got to allow him to get roughed up here or there and you know be able to learn from those things. And the one thing that you know I look to is when you look at Bayo's stats and Bavetta's stats, they're two completely different pitchers. And even though, you know, in a lot of people's standards, Bayo has struggled. He's he's a rookie, he's he's still semi in his rookie year. You know, he's a he's a young pitcher. And you know, the one thing to me is if you want to win ball games and you want to continue to develop guys to be a legit contender next year, stop bouncing around the question of, you know, should we keep a guy in here who we already know who he is and, you know, we, we might win or lose with him, or do we want to keep developing with a, with a guy like Brian Bayou who has tons of potential and could give us a better chance to win? Because at the end of the day, it's about winning, right? It is. And I think too, like you said it, like he's, not going to like I think he's he's ready for MLB action I just think that this is his first MLB season and there's going to be struggles there's going to be you know humps to get over along the way and I don't send him to AAA unless he's injured and needs to rehab from an injury or if there's something just like that he is just struggling so bad with that maybe he needs to get get it fixed in AAA but I, I don't have any I don't see any reason to send him to Worcester right now it's you know you just have to you know he's he's 23 he can. He's going to develop just fine. He needs to see the major league pitching, and it's it's just a, it's just this is part of the development process. Everyone wanted him to, at, on the Red Sox so bad last year, and you got him. And I like oh, send him to Worcester. And I mean that that's a that's a knee jerk reaction. I feel like that's you know we, we've seen that even with Tristan Casas. We've seen that with several other prospects along the way, not just in the last you know, two two or three years. But yeah, you just got to give this guy a chance to get you know. In his first full MLB season, and you don't need to be bouncing him around up and down to to AAA because there's there's just no reason for it. Unless, like I said, unless there's an injury, or that he just completely is like goes off the rails. Okay, fine. But right now, just no, no need. And the only reason why it annoys me so much is because like this is this is the first guy since Clay Buckles that you could be excited. That's a homegrown Red Sox talent. And we're trying to like mess with them and put him up and down in AAA and overanalyze and expect big things from him, you know, after, you know, what less than 10 starts last year. And, you know, I think people always look at, you know, he had like the eight ERA in his first six starts getting roughed up and then he shoved down the stretch. And I feel like a lot of people at the end of last year was like, all right, that's the guy that we're going to see immediately in 2023, but then forget how young he is, how the, the lack of experience that he has. And I also feel like as well, Red Sox fans are used to the Sox going out and and signing already defined pitchers, pitchers who have already cemented themselves as quality MLB talent and aren't really used to some of um, you know the rough starts here or there or the growing pains that some young pitchers go through. And you know that's why I feel like not only you brought up happens with Bayo, Duran, Cassis, that, that's all part of it. That's that's how young players develop. And you know I, I kind of want to wean off of the rotation talk real quick because i thought it was kind of cool uh you know ken rosenthal wrote about this uh recently how pedroia actually compared jaron duran uh to the 2011 jacoby ellsbury and as somebody who grew up 
uh, loving Jacoby Ellsbury before he was a traitor and went over to the Yankees. Uh, and, and I also love Dustin Pedroia as well. But it was so cool for me to you know, sort of think that, especially after from what we saw from Duran uh, last night and what we've seen so far since he's come back up, not only what he's been able to show at the plate defensively as well, but the stolen bases aspect. That's one thing that I think a lot of people fell in love with Jacoby Ellsbury with was his ability to just have blistering speed on the base pass and, you know, really make defenses and pitchers really uncomfortable whenever he wanted. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of people and I – could be included in that we're ready to kind of walk away from Duran and just be like listen this kid has a lot of adjusting to do and growing up to do and you know there was a great article in the athletic Wednesday morning about Ken Rosenthal wrote that uh, you know Dustin Pedroia helped him and it was just helping him change the mechanics of his swing and I think we've seen it you know pay dividends this year he's really taking advantage of the opportunity since his recall from Worcester you've mentioned the stealing basis just very aggressive on the base path and utilizing that speed so now we look at him and we don't have to say well all he has is speed because he's contributing to the Red Sox in ways that he wasn't last year he seems to be in a much better mindset overall we talked about him you know goofing off and having the the the, uh, the glove on his head the other mm-hmm. day so it's it's, you know, it's smaller things like that but then it's also you know he can do that have fun and then produce at the plate be strong in the outfield and he's just done a complete 180 since last season and he's done even since his recall and it's you know it's really really good and it's great to see you know it's, it's fun to see those kinds of comparisons to you know the the Ellsbury because he he was a good part to this team he was a huge factor to this team while he was with the Red Sox and I do hope the best for Duran I hope that he can be that I hope he can be better than that and I think he's on a really, really good path right now. And I really hope that continues. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, if when somebody eventually tells, you know, Duran about this comparison or if he already knows about it, he kind of goes the Alex Verdugo route of, you know, I'm not Jacoby Ellsbury, I'm Jaron Duran. You know, I, I want to make my own name. And I, I think right. that's, you know, the biggest thing is taking that comparison with a grain of salt and not expecting him, oh, why isn't he exactly like Ellsbury? You know what I mean? I think the stolen base aspect, this is something else that I wanted to bring up is, you know, we've seen throughout the Red Sox farm system, it's becoming a lot more prevalent for the Sox to have these speedsters uh, on their team. Obviously, the David Hamiltons, who broke the franchise record last year, he already has 20 steals uh, so far this season. Greg Allen has 17. And then, you know, when you look at double A, Corey Rozier, the guy that the Sox got from Eric, the Eric Hosmer deal, 15 which uh, is, the, is the leader in, in the Eastern League. And then the Southern Atlantic League, there's Max Ferguson, who also came from the Padres uh, in, the, in the Hosmer deal, has 15 as well. And so I think it's really cool to see um, a, a speed aspect that we haven't seen in a long time, not only in a Red Sox farm system, but with the future um, Red Sox guys. And I'm just excited when there's a time where potentially, you know, Jaron Duran and, David Hamilton are both on this Red Sox team, giving pitchers and catchers headaches and just making chaos on the base pass. That's the hope, right? I mean, that's what we we want from from them, from both of them, especially. I mean, someone like Hamilton, who's not ready for MLB, but could be very soon. And I, I want to see that, too. It could be a dynamic duo for sure. And then just last thing that I wanted to bring up regarding the, the farm system, Marce- Marcel Meyer uh, earned the South Atlantic League Player of the Week after in six games, hit three home runs, batted 516 with 12 RBIs and a uh, one one five one six OPS. Just unbelievable. It, it's really cool to, you know, seeing 
him continue to develop not only his his on base ability but also his, his power as well. And you know, excited to see him you know continue to flourish um, down there in Greenville. And you know, curious to see when we could potentially see a promotion for him to Portland. Won't be surprised if it's more in the in the middle of the year, maybe June or July. They want to continue to give him experience in Greenville. We all know Heim Bloom always talks about not rushing guys throughout the system. But uh, as always, we're going to keep you posted about everything that's happening regarding not only the Boston Red Sox, but also some of the farm system as well. If, if you didn't check out yesterday's episode, we had the opportunity to speak with Rio Gomez and pick his brain a little bit about who he is on the field, but also off the field as well. But if you want to check out Locked on Red Sox five days a week. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also follow us over on Twitter. It's LO underscore Red Sox. Myself, it's at Jake Iggy. And also Lauren is La La Three Laws. Lauren with four R's. And for our everydayers, we want to thank you so much for making Locked on Red Sox your first listen of every single day. Now make sure to check out tomorrow's episode because we're going to be recapping game two against the Braves and hopefully we see a better showing not only from the Red Sox but also from a guy like Brian Bayo who needs to make a big statement but as always we greatly appreciate everybody tuning in I hope that everybody has a great rest of your day well in this episode how we always end it keep the faith stay positive and let's go Sox peace